You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Open your Bibles, if you would, to our reading, our first reading from the book of Peter. Our reading, first reading this morning contains our text in 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is the, it is time for judgment to begin on the, with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. We'll now take some time to flip through the book of Proverbs and reading several Proverbs that highlight what Peter is talking about in our text this morning. We'll begin with Proverbs 29.11. Our first point this morning is a call to be self-controlled, to be sober, that we might be able to pray. Very practical advice, and Proverbs gives the same here when it says, and this is the word of God, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And we'll turn to Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. And then we'll turn to Proverbs 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father. Do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you, 
Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. And finally, we'll turn to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. Our text this morning is 1 Peter 4, the verses 7 through 11. Let's read those verses together again. These verses will serve also as the theme that the elders will be using as they go out and make home visits this year. 1 Peter 4, the verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, Love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a saying about two prisoners that when one looks out of the window, he sees the bars. He sees the prison's gates and the guardhouses and the guards walking around. And when another man looks out the same window, he sees the stars. You could apply the same sort of idea to someone going through a difficult time, a difficult trial. One looks out and sees what's making their life difficult, the circumstances that are causing them so much pain. Another one looks out and sees that in spite of this circumstance, and in fact in this painful trial, God is holding them in His hands. What a difference your perspective makes. Well, a situation of of suffering and of persecution was exactly what the people to whom Peter wrote this letter were experiencing. And so Peter encourages them to take a different perspective on things. He tells them that the end is near. The end is near. You know what's present at the end? If you lift up your spiritual gaze and you look past what's temporary and you're able to view the finish line, do you know what's there? You know what you see? You see the full glory of Jesus Christ. Peter says that later. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. His glory will be revealed on the end of days. Do you know how big the glory of Jesus Christ is? It's infinite. It's eternal. And so Peter lifts up the gaze of those whom he's writing to and he has them look upon the glory of Jesus Christ, the beauty of Jesus Christ and all that He is and all that He's done and to commit themselves into the care of His Heavenly Father. 
He lifts them above the present sufferings. It shows them that these things are only temporary. Your sufferings are only this much. But the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ are eternal. They go on forever. And not only that, but the sufferings are only this big. They will only go on this long. When you feel like something's never going to end, you can have a hard time carrying on in the midst of difficulty. But if the end of all things is near and the beginning of eternity and glory is close at hand, then your strength is renewed and you have the confidence to carry on. The reality of life in this world is that it is one where often our gaze is brought down where we all need help with our perspective, where there are things and and problems and tensions and persecutions and sufferings that overwhelm us, that seem to be so big that we can't look beyond them. And we need help getting our perspective right. I need help with that. You need help with that. We all need help. And that's why we've chosen this passage as the theme passage for home visits this year. The elders will will bring this passage and this message to you in your home, in your life. They'll try to lift up your eyes and give you the perspective of the glory of Jesus Christ, the full glory that's close at hand, encouraging you to live your life In light of that. That's what Peter encourages us here. And that's our theme for this morning. In light of the end, in light of the glory there, work for the good of one another now. In light of the end, work for the good of one another. And Peter sort of outlines four different ways to do this. He urges us to pray alertly. Verse 7 urges us to love deeply in verse 8, to offer hospitality, to use our material gifts generously in verse 9, and then in verse 10 till the end, he urges us to be generous with our spiritual gifts, to use our spiritual gifts to the good of others. In light of the end, then, work for the good of one another. So we begin where... Peter begins in verse 7 when he says, Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And Peter has established, as he says that, he's already established the big picture, the big perspective. The end of all things is near. Since the end of all things is near, he's saying, these things need to have your attention. Do these things. And this section is clearly about relationships between church members between people in the church. And so that's going to have our attention today. But at the outset, I want to say that this doesn't exclude our relationships with others. Quite the opposite. Peter is saying here that our relationships with unbelievers in other parts of this letter are very important. In fact, he says in 1 Peter 2 verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. And so in light of that passage, we see that even here, 
in urging us to show love for each other, to care for each other, we do that also as a witness to the world around us. But here, our attention is firmly on how we deal with one another in the church. Love one another, show hospitality to one another, serve others. Is it strange then that Peter begins all of this by urging us to prayer? Well, no. In fact, prayer is a perfect place to start. Because prayer accomplishes the very perspective that Peter is talking about when he says the end of all things is near. Were you to pray from prison, were you to pray in the midst of a painful trial, would your gaze be down on those prison bars or on that difficult circumstance? Or would your gaze be up in heaven where God is sitting on His throne? When you sincerely and heartfeltly go to God in prayer, you are acknowledging confessing, believing in the very act that God is in control. That He's good. And that He will do good for you. Isn't that the perspective that we we all need? And isn't that why it's so wonderful, so good to go to God in prayer unceasingly, constantly bringing ourselves, humbling ourselves and acknowledging and believing in God's power. When we pray, we assume the right perspective in our lives. And when we pray and we set our gaze on the eternal glory of Jesus Christ in in whose name we ask for all things, we're also asking that God, who is in control, that God's good, pleasing, and perfect will would be done. Isn't that exactly what the Lord Jesus urged us to pray in the, in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And isn't the second greatest commandment that we would love others? And Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians, he concludes his, his moving exhortation to put on the full armor of God. With this, he says, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. May your will be done, O Lord, on earth means that you are praying for each other. Praying for each other. Prayer is one of the most productive things that we can do for each other as brothers and sisters in the church. So do you pray for those in our fellowship? Do you pray for your brothers and sisters in the church here, close by, and abroad? You know that we publish the prayer requests every week in the bulletin. And we remember these corporately every week as well. Let's recommit ourselves to pray without ceasing for one another. Those who are going through trials. Those who are experiencing health difficulties. Those who are suffering spiritually. Those who, who we care for. Who we're worried about. Who we love. Those who who are doing well, we thank the Lord for them. Prayer is one of the most productive things that we can do as we set our gaze on the glory that is our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. Let's pray for one another. But in order to pray, Peter says, 
We need to be alert. We need to be clear-minded and self-controlled. And in light of what he had just talked about earlier, speaking about living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies, what Peter is talking about is living a, a morally upright life. He's talking about the moral quality of your life. The self-control that we need to exert is self-control in fighting against sin. We need to be clear-minded, not, not giving ourselves over to sin, but having the glory of God clearly in our mind. The moral quality of our lifestyle is the things that we engage in, the activities that we engage in, the, the entertainment that we pursue, the way that we interact with the world. Are these things done in submission to God's will or not? And if we are giving ourselves over to sin, we are losing our ability to pray. In order to pray, you need to have your perspective on God. And in order to constantly engage in sin, you need to turn yourself away from God. We need to fight against sin. Be self-controlled so that we can pray. The end of all things is near. It's not the time to gorge ourselves on sin, to lose ourselves in alcohol, to release ourselves in lust. No, that's the small, short-term view. That's the view that we eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Peter urges us to the long view. Paul urges us to the same view in Romans 13. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The day that will never end. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Stop serving ourselves so that we can serve others by praying for them. Pray alertly. Paul also urges, uh, Peter also urges us to love deeply. Prayer and love are closely connected. It's not surprising then that Peter goes on to speak about love. And of course he does go on. Notice at the beginning of verse, of verse 8 he says, above all. And if there's any trick that you'll want to keep in mind as you're reading the Bible, anytime one of the authors in the Bible says, above all, we should pay attention to that. That's very important. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Of course, Peter isn't talking about a, a quick emotional high that's often labeled love by our world, but he's talking about the stick that's often displayed by, by siblings. Many times in this letter, Peter speaks about brotherly love. Loving as brothers, loving through thick and thin, no matter what. You're committed to each other. That's the kind of love that he's speaking about here. And that love, he says, must be deep. Love deeply. You could also say, love earnestly or sincerely. Love sincerely. Stick to each other deeply. Earnestly. Don't let anything get in the way of your relationship, your bond of love and fellowship in the church. Love is a commitment to sacrificial service. It's a commitment to looking out for the good of others. And that's why Peter can urge us to that here. 
He says, even if you have a personality that might not mesh with the other person, or even if you have a history with that person, they've done something to you, you've done something to them, that doesn't matter. Stick to each other like glue. Love each other deeply. True love goes deeper than superficial hurts, regrets, or differences. And it's a good thing, too, because living in community is hard. Being the church, living as the church, is hard. It's so easy to sort of fall into that short-term view where our sins or the sins of others dominate, and we can't get over them in our relationship with others. Or past problems or hurts or disagreements get in the way. It's so easy not to associate with others because they have different ideas or they have different personalities, especially in a big church like ours. You can just ignore each other and get on with life. Our perspective on church can easily become small. Our small little group, our small little problems, our small little issues that we hang on to. But in light of the end, we need to realize that we are living in the last days the days of the most powerful moving of the Spirit, the days of the relentless mission of Jesus Christ moving forward, gathering, preserving, defending His church. This isn't the time for a cynical or a critical heart. This is the time to get together, to love each other, and serve God in this world. This is time for a heart of generous and sincere love. Because you see, love, committing yourself to others for their good, covers over a multitude of sins. And Peter's not saying that our love atones for sins in the sight of God. The work of Jesus Christ does that. But Peter's talking about the practical realities of human relationships. Just like Proverbs 10, verse 12, which we read. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. The reality is that people will hurt you. People will offend you. People will do things that you don't approve of. I know that because of the days that we live in. We have not achieved glory. The Lord has not brought us to that point yet. We are still sinners, and it still clings to each and every one of us. And so, we will get hurt. But now is not the time for me or for you or for any of us to hold the sins of others against them. Now, I just want to be clear that I'm not talking about gross sins, public or private. The Lord Jesus teaches us how to deal with that in Matthew 18. When there's a gross sin and someone is unrepentant in that, there's a process that we must must follow. But what Peter's talking about here is the many, many, many other sins, other wrongs, that love simply overlooks, ignores, immediately forgives, and doesn't hang on to. Love is the oil in the machine of the church. The church runs, the church is where God is working out His mission of reconciling the world to Himself. He's working toward the goal of glorifying Himself in this world. 
That's what the church is working toward. And love is the oil and the machinery of the church that keeps it going, that stops the friction from becoming too much, that allows us to work together despite our differences. And so as the elders come this season, they may ask you whether you hold a grudge against someone else in the church, whether you avoid certain people, whether you have a cynical or a critical attitude. Realize that the time is too short for this. And the glory of Jesus Christ is too great. Put on love and let us all together work for the building up of the church and for the glory of God's name in this world. Third thing that Peter urges us to is to be generous with our material gifts. Proverbs 19 verse 4 simply states that wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friends desert him. Of course, that needs to be balanced with the other Proverbs that that speak about the dangers of wealth and also speak about the, the plight of or, and the, the dignity of the poor. But Solomon's words here point in the direction that Peter is heading when Peter writes, offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. Now, some people think that Peter's speaking about the many itinerant church workers, missionaries, evangelists that were going around Asia Minor in those times saying that if one of these guys shows up, offer hospitality to him. And now that's possible, but it's most likely that he's speaking about offering hospitality to one another in the church, because that is in fact what he says, offer hospitality to one another. Just like he said, love each other. He's talking about offering hospitality in the community of the church. That was so important for the church in the early days as they were experiencing suffering and all kinds of pressure from the outside, and also as they met in each other's homes. That's where the word was proclaimed. Hospitality was crucial to the functioning of the church. And it continues to be crucial to the functioning of the church today. What is hospitality but an expression of love in the community? It's the outworking of love for one another. It's the gathering of others with their differences, with their different personalities, with our past history, histories, inviting them into communion that we might joy, uh, share the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ together. Encourage each other to look forward to the day of Christ. It's been said that an open home reveals an open heart. Hospitality is the expression of a church full of love. By being hospitable to, to each other, we, t- we have opportunity to take the material gifts that God has given us and to use them for the good of others. Instead of hoarding our gifts, our time, our comfort, our tranquility, the Spirit would have us take the big view and let go of these things and share them. Share them by offering to others in your homes. Invite others into your home and And don't worry about the mess. It's not about that. It's about the relationship. It's about the encouragement. It's about the extension of love. Invite others into your home and and share a mutual experience that you won't forget. You can probably look around here and, and you will immediately know the homes of those that you've been to in this congregation. Because hospitality means something to us. We don't quickly forget it. 
Peter urges us, in light of the end, toward hospitality. And so we should ask ourselves, and the elders will be taking the time to ask you and encouraging you, are you hospitable? Are you hospitable? In fact, the elders themselves have a calling in this area. A prerequisite for being an elder is that you are hospitable. Paul outlines that as he writes to Timothy. Think about your past six months. Have you opened up your home to others? Have others experienced your home as a place of warmth, a place of love, a place of encouragement? Do you seek out strangers and visitors and new members? Do you share your blessings with others? To do so is a great joy, both for you and for those that you warmly invite. Peter says, don't do this without grumbling. Well, once you begin to do it, it becomes a lot harder to grumble. What he's referring to there, I think, is, is the, the Israelites in the Old Testament. They took what God had given them, the manna, and they grumbled about it. But Peter urges us to take what God gives us, and not to grumble, but to put it to good use for the good of others. Using your material gifts that God has given you to enrich the lives of others and to grow in your relationship with them. It's the furthest thing from a burden. It's a joy. It's a joy. Finally, Peter urges us, be generous also with your spiritual gifts. He urges us to use the gifts that we we have to serve in the last days. These are the days of the church's final push. And this requires that we work efficiently and effective with each other. And there's no better way to do this than to use the very gifts that God provides. God is in control and He gives to each one as we need in the time that we need them. And this is the overarching understanding that we cannot lose Speaking and serving and using God's gifts is an extension of God's grace. It's actually clear in the original, the word for gifts is charismata. The word for grace is charis. So the word for gift and the word for grace is very similar. The word for gift comes from the word for grace. And so we are administering, as Peter says here, God's grace in its various forms by using the gifts that he's given. God is a rich and a generous giver of gifts. Well, what are these spiritual gifts that we're talking about? Peter mentions here speaking and serving. Those probably act as big overarching categories because Paul elsewhere speaks of prophesying and teaching, encouraging, serving, contributing to the needs of others, leadership, showing mercy. That's in Romans. In 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about having a message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, discerning, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, along with helping and administrating. And there are others as well. There's many gifts. And there's good reason to believe that that's not an exhaustive list of the gifts. The Lord's grace is in various forms. But the point is that all these gifts were for the upbuilding of the church. They were to build up the church in these last days. Those gifts which no longer are with us serve to show that probably the most clearly. The gift of tongues was given to the church in the time before the church had the whole canon, the whole New Testament. And so in their lack, 
the Lord gave them tongues and the Lord gave them prophecies so that He could build up the church. He could speak to them so that they could help each other in the times. Now God gives us His complete Word so we can speak His Word to each other and we can serve each other with it. These gifts are for the upbuilding of the church. The Lord is focused on using all His eternal resources to gather and defend and preserve the church. And so we must do the same by His Word and by His strength. God today encourages us to put our gifts into use in His service. What's your gift? How has the Lord shown His diverse grace in your abilities? Has the Lord given you leadership to perhaps help out with the cadets as they need some help right now? Has the Lord given you a gift of caring that you might think about being a mentor, caring for others? Has the Lord given you the gift of encouraging that you might be one day a deacon in His church? Has the Lord given you a gift in helping and in helping the ladies' aid and, and other things in this church which help out those who are going through difficult times? Has the Lord given you the gift of speaking that you might encourage others, exhort others, or perhaps pursue ministry, the ministry of the Word? Has the Lord given you the gift of contributing so that you can give generously to the many ways, the many good causes in God's kingdom? Whatever gift God has given you, faithfully administer God's grace in its various forms. When you speak and when you serve in the church, you have a high calling. You're you're called to be a vessel of God's grace. That eternal grace and glory of Jesus Christ that's coming, it's coming already now when we serve in His power. That's why it's to the praise and glory of God. That's why when we serve, we bring praise to God and glory to Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, in light of the end, we bring the realities of the soon-to-come glory of Jesus Christ into the present lives and experiences of God's people. Into this world right now that we live in. We enrich the lives of others who embrace Christ who find their life in Him, and who join themselves with His precious bride on this church. So may the glory of Jesus Christ shine on us as we work for the good of one another. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.